Welcome back in listeners to a hauntingly fun episode uh, of Whisper in the Wings. We've got a very exciting guest. Joining us today is the creative director of The Haunting of 85th East 4th Street, which is presented by Radio Theater. We have the creative director, Dan Bianchi, joining us. Dan, welcome to our show. Hello. How are you guys? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have you joining us to talk about this, the return of this great show, which is playing November 10th through the 20th at the Crane Theater. Um, and this is not the first time the show has played here. Uh, we, we were talking about the show previous, you know, before we started. Um, and this is a really exciting show. It's a unique show. It's a fun show. Uh, honestly, to me, especially this time of year, this is a real New York show. Um, so why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your show? Well, um, I always say that uh, our shows come complete with original scripts, uh, original, uh, great cast, um, original orchestral music, even at our level of theater, um, and um, uh, award-winning sound design. And that's what sets us apart technically from everyone else in town, big or small. So the haunting of 85 East 4th Street, if you don't know, that is the location of our theater. And it's an old building in the East Village uh, on East 4th Street, obviously. And East 4th Street over the years, if you don't know again, that's almost become like downtown theater row. Yes. Uh, you have La Mama Theater, the classic La Mama Theater across the street, and a number of other theaters all in one block, which you don't find too much down downtown. And so the Crane Theater moved in there. They're celebrating their 25th anniversary. I was there before they even moved in, um, knowing a bit about, uh, I know, the owner of the whole building. And the history is very unique and colorful. It runs the gamut from uh, old history of New York back to the 1800s and when it was just an area before that back to the 1700s uh, uh, if you don't know New York was way downtown where we know as as uh, Wall Street area that was the city mm -hmm. and the village area was pastures and farms and so forth that the wealthy people would come up here to get away from you know, down there. So uh, we go back that far with our historical storytelling. And I try to uh, get as much uh, visual data as I can, old newspapers or drawings, artwork, and so forth from the day, uh, you know, in the 18, whatever this year, that sort of, you know. Well, this building uh, began as a, um, a union hall uh, back then. And if you don't know, again, the Lower East Side, it wasn't the East Village back then. Uh, the Lower East Side was many uh, Jewish immigrants um, and, uh, and Germans and Jewish and, and later Italians and so forth um, and the Irish before them, but very Jewish at that time. Uh, I'm speaking of now about 1900s or so. And uh, the unions were a big thing. The Communist Party, uh, as the years went on, the American Communist Party took as its headquarters that building. Um, 
and uh, the Union Hall that was down, uh, which is now the theater, um, would gather, you know, all of the, I think it was the textile unions or something. Well, one of the, in, um, you know, guys who crossed the picket lines and they were holding them up as examples and the guys were nervous and so forth. One of the guys was saying, I'm sorry, here's the $10 I made, you know, scabbing. By the time he got to our lobby, they beat him to death with baseball bats. Uh, it's a famous wow. case. I have the Times articles from back then, which we show on our projection screens while we're telling you the story. And uh, we fill in our ghostly um, um, environment, you know, with sound and music and fog and all of those things that go along with it. Um, but based on real tales. So. That's amazing. How did you come up with the idea for the show? Uh, you know, it set me off um, around when I did the initial show about 16 years ago. They were just beginning on television. All of those uh, ghost hunter type shows that, you know, the guys were going to build them with using the infrared, whatever it is, lighting. And, oh, my God, is that a sound I heard upstairs? You know, and <laughs> running over there and running over here. And all of a sudden, the whole, you know, all the networks were starting to get even the weather channel, uh, the travel channel had to have Thursday nights or ghost night uh, and so forth and so on. And uh, I said, it always had kind of a narration and they'd always have that sound like it's a news program to begin with, maybe. And some of them were the on-location guys that, like I said, would go around with their little equipment and stuff. Or they would reenact using actors uh, something that happened in a house, you know, 100 years ago and somebody murdered the other person or whatever. And yet the person that had the voice behind it, whom we never seen, the, the narrator, had that voice that would always fill in all the gaps and capture you right away. And well, now there's more than ever. Um, I did a survey the other night. And like I said, there's about 25 a week shows, uh, uh, the My ghostly gosh. homes of Hollywood with, you know, ex movie stars telling you how they met ghosts in their big mansions. <laughs> and then there's this and there's that and so forth. And there's a billion movies you could check, you know, Netflix and all the rest of them. Um, everything's the ghost of this, the ghost of that, and so forth. Um, but if you have that element that, oh, no, uh, this is a bit of reality here. Um, it's not a novelist who made up, you know, a book. Um, so that was just one of the stories where someone died in the building, uh, a violent death. Is the ghost still around? Well, it's an old building and people tell tales. And upstairs is a the bar, the Palm Casino. It was called back in the days of the 1920s. Well, it was run by the godfather, Lucky Luciano. And there are stories that go behind that. So we cover up until hmm, about the 1980s. I call it like a biography, a ghostly biography of the building. So, you know, I was able to meld my love for old New York, and I've written a book, Manhattan Macabre, which is all old New York, but this one is about just the building itself. 
What was it like developing the show as a whole? I know that you mentioned that this the show is 20 years old. Um, so, you know, from 20 years ago to now, what was it like developing it? Well, as I said, it is so specific, the title, etc. We've done 100 shows since then, and we go on tour around the country and so forth as well. Well, you can't really do the haunting of 85 East 4th Street in Massachusetts or something because it doesn't really pertain to anything. No one knows. But when you are sitting there in the audience and you can say that, you see that wall over there? There's still a bullet hole in that wall where the guy was shot from the bar that was upstairs that was Lucky Luciano, blah, 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 you know, and people are, are with you if you're convincing enough, you know, to do that. And boy, when that show ends for the night, those people are running up to <laughs> the stage or wherever you pointed out, this happened out on the stoop, uh, uh, the big staircase in the lobby, guy was pushed down by a, supposedly a ghost and all the tiles were cracked on the floor. I have pictures of that, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you start hearing the tales from all your customers. I remember when this happened, oh, I was here when blah, 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 you know? It's like being a magician. It really is. I mean, I know theater is magic and all of that sort of thing, but it's kind of like um, when you pull the, you know, the curtain open and the big elephant has disappeared into air in four seconds and everybody's going, wow, you know, like that, you get that kind of feeling. What is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from your show? Well, you know, in redoing it now, uh, all the years later, originally we had five people in the show. Now we have two and they are entertainers, you know, I mean, performers on stage talking to the audience. They're, they're like the narrator I was speaking about before with the television shows that they carry the stories along and the sound and the music is going to finish it uh, or, you know, accompany it. And now we have the slides as well. But uh, in doing the old New York part of things, I included a lot more of the historical data, what was going on in my city back then too. I think that's one cool thing about your show. I mean, it's not you're not getting this horror story from like blood and guts and gore, but it's the truth behind it. You know what I mean? It's, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a story based in truth where you're, you're telling historical facts about it and people are like, no, that couldn't have happened. You're like, no, but it did happen. And that's the horrifying or the frightening thing. So right. being able to have amass all these stories and this, this great historical fact, who do you hope have access to the show? Well, as I said, we've always had tourists and out-of-towners, meaning the tri-state area, New Jersey or Long Island and so forth, because they were always fans of our other shows. Like, as I told you, we have our big Edgar Allan Poe festivals and so forth. Uh, but this is different um, because now um, it's an original show based on New York. It's gotten you know more defined. It's not all of New York City. It's hopefully this building, but I also talk about the area of uh, Lower East Side and the history of it. So young people, I would hope, come in and just as I was talking about the masks and stuff that are hopefully brand new to the, you know, in their memories, like, oh, I lived through that. 
Yeah, well, you're not the only ones. New Yorkers have lived through this 1919, in 1879, blah, 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 blah. There was the yellow fever plague killed. We just put the coffin in the street and the wooden carts would come by and pick it up from the various buildings because there was nowhere else to put them. Uh, that's how many deaths there were. So we're not new to this in a lot of ways. conversation now and focus a little bit more on you and your experience in the theater and I want to start by asking what shows in the past have you loved or have inspired you well um I wrote an article again once that was a question they put out to some theater people what was the one that did it for you growing I won't say growing up I wasn't a kid doing it uh but you know um from my 20s onward uh I would see this show all the time um, because it was a big giant cast and uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company had come over to New York and it was the play called Marat Saad and it's a big long name but they cut it down to Marat Saad and I was a kid that my high school they used to take you to theaters on a Friday or something like that just I don't know where they got the money back then, but I had never got to theater, and this was Broadway. And I sat there with my mouth hung open. You could do this? <laughs> you know, it was one of those. I think you could still see it on a YouTube. They videotaped, well, in video, it was filmed back then. Um, and it's, you know, I had never seen anything like it, and you certainly couldn't do it today. And yet, all through the years, it was always a play that uh, colleges picked on because they could put their whole class of actors on the stage at once, you know, as the chorus and all the rest of it. Um, it wasn't traditional. This was British um, and German expressionism and so forth um, to do it, but it's fabulous. Uh, and that was my thing. But again, I didn't really have an influence at home. Uh, you know, there wasn't any of that. And when I, uh, you probably weren't around for this, but uh, I was given like a lifetime award type of thing, the achievement award for the New York Innovative Theater uh, one year. And they put you up on the screen and interviewed all people and made a video of you and everything. And they called me up. Now, most people, they always ask, you know, what inspired you? What play? And, so, and you'd always hear, oh, the sound of music. Uh, whatever, my parents brought me to see uh, West Side Star, uh, all of that. Well, I never had that. I said, no, you know what inspired me? I said, on Saturday afternoons when you're when I was a kid in the city, that was for, uh, in the movie theaters, that was just strictly for kids, Saturday afternoons. Uh, nighttime was adult movies. 
And uh, they just, you know, since TV had taken over at that time, uh, movies were always looking to movie theaters. How do we get people into back into theaters? Um, well, for the nighttime audiences, these were big, giant theaters in New York City for movies, almost the size of a Broadway house, thousand, a couple of thousand seats. And yet on a Saturday afternoon, it was packed with kids. You'd, you'd just go there at 12 o'clock and you'd come home at five or six at night. For what, a quarter? I don't know, whatever it was. And you'd see movie after movie and monster movies. And, but they had live on stage people in between maybe old vaudeville acts, people from, you know, here and there, you know, magicians, mostly for kids. And I said, that was my first like experience of sitting in a theater, theater seating and seeing someone live on a stage doing things, you know, um, movies I went to since I was born because my mother was a fanatic and it was across the street. But um, here uh, I was watching this <laughs> and I said, I was telling the audience this story and I said, well, here's how it went. I went in one time and a magician came out and in between the first set of movies, he had a big guillotine and, you know, you put logs in there and boom, the blade comes down, chops the log. And then he'd ask for volunteers from the audience to put your head in there. Well, kids would be screaming and going wild and doing all of that. Okay. But the second time he came out between movies, there was, and now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you whatever, Little Sheba or something. It was a belly dancer. She comes out, and of course, all the kids are drooling, and the older kids, the teenagers, and she's doing all of her routine with a big, you know, the big boa constrictors and stuff like that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Little Sheba is going to, and they rolled out a big cage or aquarium or whatever. She's going to take the deadly deadliest snakes in the world, the mamba, the black mamba, whatever it was. One bite, a man, full-size man, goes into catatonic state, you know, within a minute. So please be quiet. We have need quiet for this. And the lights would start blinking while he's talking, the house lights. And he eventually got annoyed and he'd be yelling back to, hey, Harry, what's going on with the lights? Uh, we're working on it, you know, okay, okay, whatever. Okay, little, be quiet, everybody. Little Sheba, and she comes out, and there she has the little snake, black snake, and whatever she's doing with it, the lights start blinking again, and boom, the whole theater goes dark. And within a minute, everyone starts hushing and everything. And within a minute, you hear the woman on stage go, ah, lights come back on, she's laying there. And the man runs over, and the technician or whatever, they all run out and they go, oh my God, and she's dead. And the narrator says, never mind her. And he turns to the audience, where's the snake? Well, a thousand kids <laughs> all of a sudden jump screaming out of their chairs, standing on them and start moving like a wave toward the exit doors, climbing over all the seats and so forth. And I remember standing there going, that's what I want to do in life. And after that, I said, uh, I, I think that really damaged my brain for the rest of it. <laughs> movies is one thing, but then I tried all that stuff. But uh, how do you do that live? Um, 
Of course, it wasn't traditional theater, and you know. No, but still, like that's what I was thinking as as all the, as all this was building. I was like, hold on, something about this snake. I, I feel like I can see what's coming, and they're going to be like, oh no, what happened to her? But I'd be the one guy that's like, where is this snake? Yes, where is I know. Snake? I don't want to mess with this. Like, we'll get to her, but this snake, where is? Well, it? <laughs> I remember everybody stood there, you know, for a half a second as it sunk in, and then they got their feet off the floor. <laughs> then it stood on the seats and everything, you know. But I also remember that narrator who was the host for the evening of all the acts would be standing over there by the curtain on stage looking out while he watched the backs of everybody, you know, flooding towards the exit. And he was smiling. And I caught that and I went, yeah, baby. <laughs> He's the guy, you know. Well, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I must say that having your own theater, my own theater company, or other people do that too, when you're the boss, uh, if you have the experience of working with commercial productions and there are 10 bosses you have to answer to, and everyone has a different opinion and power and this and that and a suggestion and all of those things, as I say, I've been an artist my whole life. Since I was 17, I had my first one-man art show, and that's what I do elsewhere. But um, I can't deal with a lot of that mentality. So, I mean, I know what they're going for. I know what they're talking about. I, you know, even on a commercial level, I said, as I was telling you before, the horror genre or crowd is... 40 times bigger than any theater crowd. And why the theater producers don't try to attract them the way the literary crowd has, as I said, Stephen King's the richest author who's ever lived. Um, and, uh, and of course, we don't have to talk about Harry Potter and all the other things that people make, you know, gigantic fortunes off of. Well, how come the literary world knows this? How come the comic book world, of course. How come, uh, you know, the movie world, beyond a doubt, any low-budget movie makes its money back? That's something that any horror filmmaker knows. Of course, when they went to made-for-TV movie or videos and all those things, even that, it's so low-budget, you make it back. Well, my favorite question to ask guests, and I'm excited to hear yours, is what is your favorite theater memory? You've already kind of mentioned that that snake story, which is fantastic. Do you have, do you have another one you'd like to share? Well, I tell you the that uh, play Marat Saad in the that was in the sixties. Now, now as I came into the seventies, it was still very experimental. The the theater world, unlike anything you could see today, it just wouldn't be allowed. I mean, I mean they couldn't afford it, or they just don't have the mentality to deal with such creativity. And I remember going to see this thing called Jesus Christ Superstar. What the hell? You know, at that time, it was outrageous. You know, you, you don't put Jesus Christ on stage singing a, a rock and roll musical. That's what I hear it. I heard the album. Well, the original production, if you ever saw photos of it, and mm -hmm. I knew the set designer, these were people on stilts, 
on big giant puppet heads and this and that. It wasn't the usual production nowadays. Everyone in robes and you look like, you know, an old religious painting. This was amazing, you know, um, and plus rock and roll music. So uh, to me, uh, and to this day, it's always done a billion times around the world, right? Jesus Christ Superstar. But it, uh, and of course, the uh, composer went on to be the richest composer of all times as well. <laughs> so um, I have to admit that was before it changed into its, you know, uh, and, and the world of theater got more conservative. It was at that time I used to see Russian directors coming over to America, putting on fabulous sets and so forth that now you only see in black and white photographs and go, wow, who can make this? Are there any other productions that um, you yourself or that radio theater have coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug outside of the haunting? Well, well, uh, like I said, this is our 20th anniversary show, The Haunting of 85 East 4th Street. Um, And it's a 16 year anniversary of that show in the exact location. So it's got a little unique factor going for it. But we always did three main shows a year. So our next one slated is around Memorial Day again. And if we're going to be at this theater that we're in with The Haunting or our usual theater on the West Vill- in the West Village, um, St. John's Sanctuary on Christopher Street, we probably do our uh, best uh, acquainted show with the audience is um, Edgar Allan Poe Festival. I don't know if you could see him in in the back up there. Yep. <laughs> Looking over my shoulder there, that's one of our big posters. But um, people flock to that because it's a festival of maybe we do 16 different stories. And, and these aren't just readings of stories. I So we do them, maybe 16 of his stories adapted by me into this sound spectacular things. But I keep uh, honest to the basic work. I don't put it in the 20th century on Mars or something. No, they're Gothic tales, etc. People love them. And I sell them live recordings online all during COVID and so forth across the world. Will it happen again by next Memorial Day? I have to see before I decide because I'm getting a little <laughs> old for the live theater stuff and uh, I have to decide about that too. If our listeners want to get more information about uh, the haunting of 85th East 4th Street uh, or about radio theater or even about yourself, how can they do so? Well, we have our website, of course, www.radiotheater with an R-E-E-N-Y-C.com. Radio Theater NYC Well, my guest today has been Dan Bianchi, who is the creative director of um, Radio Theater, and they are presenting The Haunting of 85th East 4th Street, Mm -hmm. uh, which is playing at the Crane Theater from November 10th through the 20th. You can get more information and tickets by visiting RadioTheaterNYC.com or frigid.nyc and this is a show you do not want to miss especially if you're a history buff or a horror fan 
this is the thing to see. I know that it's after Halloween, but it's going to be worth it. I know that we're going to be there, so don't miss out. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today on Whisper in the Wings. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and learning about this show and the history of it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Harry Talley and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>